Hey everyone, my name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about our political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as the name would suggest. Happy Tuesday. Hopefully you guys had a good few days. Hopefully you guys had a good weekend. There have been a ton of tennis matches that have happened that have transpired over the past four or five days. So let's just get right into it. Um, it was very enjoyable and we're entering into into the home stretch of, of the Australian Open. So I'm very excited to see it. You know, I'm very excited to see great tennis. And honestly, this is what separates the great tennis players from the not so great tennis players. So let's just get right into it. And right now I'm filming this right now. I'm filming this in the midst of the quarterfinals. So there have been a ton of tennis players that have been able to make it. But I think the main individual that should be given a ton of credence and a lot of positive vibes and energy is Danil Medvedev, right? And right now, I think I think we're entering into an era of Danil Medvedev, right? I think this is now the opportunity for him to really step up and step up in a big way because the past few matches have been very intriguing, very interesting. And just seeing him play is just awesome. You know, it looks very effortless, very clean. And Danil Medvedev just passed the fourth round, if any of you guys are interested. Um, I don't really have the scores up with me. But, I mean, it was very competitive. And, you know, his opponents in the past have been really really interesting and right now he's scheduled to play Rublev if you guys don't know Rublev uh, Rublev is also a Russian and he also plays a very tight compactful game of tennis as well uh, similar to that of of Medvedev and it's just going to be interesting you know it's going to be interesting to see the long-term ramifications of of this open of this major by his performance by Medvedev's performance you know I mean if you really look at Medvedev's performance it's been tight at the baseline he's a defensive baseliner it's he's able to keep his calm and composure within the baseline go up to the net when need be even you know really focus on serves and volleys as well I mean he's just able to get into the thick of the match bring his A game and really focus on building on the long-term points through rallies. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see him, you know, perform in the quarterfinals and the semis and the finals if he's able to make it. Um, you know, it's, it's just going to be interesting, you know. For me, like when I look at his play, and I know this is going to be uh, very controversial to say the least but you know when I look at his play it does remind me of the best of Andy Murray and the best of John Isner now I know that's a wild compliment you know obviously that's a lot to say about you know Medvedev I mean he's only like 25 26 at this point but I mean he does remind me of a servant volley of a John of a John Isner and the composure and the resilience uh, that is comparable to the great Andy Murray. You know, so it's very interesting to watch him perform. And, you know, if he does win against Rublev, he still has a ton of t- competition left because 
he is within that bracket of Nadal Sitsipas. So if he faces Nadal, then you know you may see a passing of the torch of the two tennis players. Obviously, Nadal probably will win against him. But at the same time, I mean, Nadal hasn't necessarily had his best performances at the Australian Open. You know, it's mostly Djokovic who has had great tennis matches and just a great uh, sensibilities for that court in general. I mean, Novak Djokovic is just a pro when it comes to being on the hard court, you know. So, I mean, obviously, Rafa is the king of clay, but he hasn't really had a good showing when it comes to the Australian Open. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting because... You know, even if he does pass Nadal, I mean, he still has the ability to play against Djokovic. And again, Djokovic has time and time proven how he's just great against defensive baseliners at the Australian Open. I mean, look no further than what happened to uh, to Andy Murray in the past three, four finals that they've played against one another. 2011 still stings, man. 2011 still stings, but... Um, I'm enjoying Medvedev, man. I really am because he does bring an excitement and engagement to the uh, sport of tennis that I haven't really seen in the past few years. And I remember that 2018 Australia, uh, that 2018 U.S. Open, right? I remember that 2018 U.S. Open because everybody was just pitting against Medvedev. I mean, he was the main villain. Uh, of that open of that major and as each round progressed he was like your booze make me compete heavier at at a higher level so keep booing me because i'm just going to enjoy it and you know it was just great to see him you know progress through through those rounds and really captivate that audience that american audience and um speaking about americans uh michael mcdonald i think it's very important to at least talk about him um he was also on the fourth round as well uh, playing against Medvedev, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm very happy to see an American do well, right? And, you know, when I saw the coverage on Michael McDonald, or lack thereof of the coverage of Michael McDonald, I was like, why, why are you not talking about this individual? Why are you not at least discussing him? I mean, listen, even though I'm part of a younger demo who doesn't really care or doesn't really focus that much on the nationality of tennis players. And again, you know, look no further than the than the UFC. I mean, they're able to, you know, use Khabib Nurmagomedov, Nurmagomedov and Kamaru Usman and Israel Adesanya, you know, individuals who aren't American and all of a sudden have a lot of fans within America. Obviously, nationalities don't really play importance, but... I mean, it still matters for the older demographic who still values that. And to see ESPN and to see the Tennis Channel not really cover it uh, to the extent that they should, um, I don't know, I I just kind of find it uh, weird, to say the least. I mean, you should uh, focus on, you know, his nationality to bring in that older audience because that's what gets the older audience to watch the game. To watch the match so i don't know i thought it was kind of weird and uh, somewhat peculiar on their part to not necessarily talk about it to not really talk about it um that's just my opinion on it i just think that if you really want to bring the older demo in uh, it would mean a lot if you could at least talk about his nationality and talk about him being american because again 
you know, having an American, you know, be at the fourth round of the Australian Open, I think that's very important to say the least. And it will bring people to watch the sport of tennis if you sort of hone in on that. So I, I sort of wish that they talked about him at least a little bit because uh, Michael McDonald is a very good tennis player. He's very skilled, and uh, I think he's basically 25. I think he's 25 years old, so he still has a lot more left in him. I wouldn't call him a journeyman because I think the average lifespan of a tennis player will last between 25 to 35, not 20 years old to 37 or 38 years old. I don't think that's going to happen again. I think is now. I think the sweet spot for a tennis player is between the ages of 25 to 35, and you're seeing it with the younger tennis players. But I mean, I think it's interesting to say the least. You know, I, I really want to see Michael McDonald play well, and hopefully, we can we are able to see uh, more American tennis players captivate the sport of tennis more than any other uh, tennis player. You know, I think that's what's important here. So, I mean, those, those were just my key, uh, few takeaways of, of Medvedev. And, you know, obviously we're going to get to Kyrgios and T, uh, Dominic team in a second. More so Dominic team than Kyrgios. But uh, those are just my original thoughts about Medvedev. He's playing another Russian uh, named uh, Rublev. And, you know, the, obviously there were other Russians as well uh, playing Karatsov as well. I'm, I'm pretty sure Karatsov. Uh, lost to Dimitrov. Let me see if I, he lost. Again, this is very early. Uh, let's let's see. Dimitrov. Yeah. Oh, Karatsov won. Man. Oh, and he won in four sets. I didn't know that. Okay, that's interesting to say the least because Dimitrov is a 16th ranked player and... And he won against Dominic Team. You know, he won against him in straight sets, 6-4, 6-4, 6-love. He bageled Dominic Team in that last set. And this sort of parlays into my next topic, which is what really went wrong with Dominic Team at the Australian Open? Because Dominic Team in that last match looked extremely gassed he looked extremely not himself not of his composure not of his playing style and if i had to guess it had to go it had to uh, deal with the match against kyrgios now if you don't remember the match against kyrgios because it happened so long ago i mean what happened last friday feels like it happened in a month ago it feels like now because of the pandemic everything is now what feels like a week feels like a month you know but if you don't remember that uh match Kyrgios was up two sets to none against Dominic team and then Dominic team just played some of the best tennis I ever saw you know being great at the baseline being great when it comes to forehands and backhands really finding those winners, those tight spaces between uh, Kyrgios and the play uh, of of the lines. And he just played some of the best tennis I ever saw from a tennis player. You know, obviously, you, you can obviously say Kyrgios choked at the John Kane Arena. And I, I wouldn't necessarily put that past him. You know, obviously, he is Kyrgios. But 
I mean, that was a Dominic team win, you know, don't get me wrong. And, you know, when you see him play against Dimitrov, I mean, it was just night and day with what happened at the John Kane Arena with Kyrgios. I mean, Dominic team was not himself. He looked like he had some form of injury. I'm not going to say he had an injury, but I mean, just from the top down, he just not, did not play himself. And it really culminated to getting a bagel in that third set. I mean, his serves were not up to speed. They were not up to par. It felt as if he was playing behind the point each and every time. He was just playing catch-up. Um, it, it just wasn't really that functional of a match. And it felt very sloppy at times. So, you know, when I saw him play against Dimitrov, and again, this is no, nothing against Dominic Team, but it just didn't feel like he was playing to the ability that he should have been playing. You know, when I saw Dominic Team play against Verov at the uh, U.S. Open final last year, I mean, that was some of the best tennis I ever saw, which culminated into down-the-line winners with those backhands. And they were not really seen in that match against Dimitrov. So, I mean, what I'm trying to get at here is that, you know, this I'm not trying to take away anything from team, don't get, don't get me wrong, um, but hopefully he builds off this composure and he builds off this momentum into Roland Garros, into the Wimbledon final, or into Wimbledon in general. And I think these matches sort of highlight the separation between a Nadal, a Djokovic, and a team in Kyrgios-Sverov, you know. And again, you know, while I have a lot of respect for team, while I have a lot of respect for Zverev, they haven't really shown that they're up to par with a Djokovic or a Nadal. Um, so while I have a lot of respect and love for all these younger tennis players, there is a big degree of separation between the you know multiple time major winners versus the individuals that are up and coming and you know when i saw that match against dimitrov what i thought to myself was man if this was replaced by kyrgios i mean kyrgios would have easily lost this match i mean i mean dimitrov hats off to dimitrov obviously he lost in the quarterfinals against um karatsev i think that's his name um but I mean, it, it's interesting to see, man. It, I mean, it's... it's I, I honestly think that if, if you replace team with Kyrgios, I don't think Kyrgios would have done well against Dimitrov. You know, I really don't, you know. Um, but, again, just seeing his play, you know, seeing uh, team's aggressive play, you know, I mean, it's just interesting to see, and hopefully he gets better, you know. You know, hopefully he's able to, you know, get better. And, you know, this does remind me of that Tumaini Karayal tweet, you know. It actually brought his tweet up. Uh, he's from the Guardian's board. Go check him out. But he tweeted something that I thought was very incisive, which is uh, Dominic's team said he has physical issues but did not want to elaborate. Some little physical issues. I don't want to talk closer than them. I don't want to find excuses. The thing is also I'm not a machine. I'd like to be. I think that was very telling. I think that was very uh, important to note about, you know, his sort of lack of physical play. And honestly, uh, hopefully he gets better. You know, I really want him to get better. I think what he represents for the sport of tennis is great. And I think, in my opinion, he will carry the mantle of the future players of tennis. You know, obviously, we we know about Zverev's past and his allegations, 
But, you know, I think if you really want to carry the support of tennis, it has to be through team, has to be through Kyrgyz, through Medvedev. You know, I have a lot of respect for Zverev. You know, Alexander Zverev is a great tennis player. I just don't think that an individual who has gone through what he's gone through and the allegations that are against him, I don't think he would be the best fit for the future tennis, for the future sport of tennis, right? Obviously, he's a great player, but I wouldn't put him as the representative of tennis. I think that would have to go through Medvedev, uh, Kyrgios, Tsitsipas, and team. I think those four will be the future of tennis, and they are the future of tennis, uh, by the way. Uh, but those are just my immediate thoughts about the Australian Open. You know, there will be a lot of great test matches. Obviously, Zverev and Djokovic is one of them. Uh, Rublev, Dimitrov, another one. And I was sort of surprised to see Dimitrov uh, lose. If I'm not going to be, uh, if I if I'm going to be honest with you, I, I was sort of surprised that he that he was able to pull through because now he's in the. He's in the semis. <laughs> you know, Karatsev is, Karatsev is in the semis. Uh, you know, so, you know, Medvedev as well. Uh, that match against Rublev. I mean, these quarterfinals are going to be interesting, to say the least. And I'm just super excited to see the future matches that will uh, take place in the next week or so. So... And I might I might do a podcast right after the Australian Open final, so hopefully you guys can check that out. I might I don't know I'm not going to say I'm not going to commit to it, but I might film a podcast right after the Australian Open final, men's final. Um, speaking of the women's final, Naomi Osaka, I mean she's just been on a tear recently. I mean she was able to win against Su Wei She, I think her name is that Su Wei She, and Su Wei She. I mean, had a really dominant final. I mean, I've never seen a, a player like that compete at the weight that she did. But Naomi Osaka won 6-2, 6-2, straight sets. But again, I mean, Sue Shea, I mean, look out for that woman. I mean, she is amazing. She's lights out, you know, when it comes to being at the baseline, when it comes to being at the net, um, when it comes to uh, messing with the aggressive baseliners when it comes to the aggressive players by offering a more relaxed defensive scheme, focusing on volleying and focusing on trying to f- get on slices and topspin. Not too much on, to- on topspin, but more so on slices and spins. I mean, she's just fun to watch because it's just such a mindfuck to so many individuals that are do play or do play an aggressive style of play so i mean i mean watch out for her because she is interesting and you know i think she's going to bring something that really hasn't really been seen in women's tennis so go check her out i think she is a great tennis player and honestly hopefully um you know she's able to she's able to bring something that hasn't really been brought up in in that lane of tennis. You know, obviously we talk about, when we talk about women's tennis, we talk about the aggressive baseliners. We know we talk about the grunters. We talk about the individuals that, you know, really pound for pound are just, you know, trading blows, just trading ground strokes down the line, up the uh, cross court, and that's through Serena, through uh, Sabalenka, 
uh, you know, to a certain extent, Osaka. But, I mean, Sue Shea is just able to bring, like, you know, Sarah Arani is another example. But, I mean, Sue Shea, I mean, you got to give it to her. I mean, she's just been able to bring an entire style of tennis and is able to succeed in a way that I haven't really seen people succeed in that style of tennis before. Um, so, I mean, we'll definitely check her out. Uh, she's interesting, to say the least. And I think, you know, when you see her against her Arani, when you see her against Andrescu, I mean, these are some of the best tennis players, you know, right now. And, you know, to see her elevate herself to that plateau, I mean, hats off to her. I mean, it really is special. It really is. It truly is special. Um, so I think that's the tennis talk for today. Uh, a lot of interesting things, and hopefully they just get more uh, interesting as the days go by. As we reach into the quarterfinals, as we, as we reach into the semis, uh, it's just going to be interesting to see. And uh, yeah, I think now is to talk about the political and societal culture of our uh, podcast, of my podcast. So, if you guys didn't know, there was this sham impeachment trial over the weekend. Uh, 58 people voted yay on impeachment, 32 voted nay, or 42 people voted nay. And if you, basically, if somebody needs to get impeached, they have to reach 60 votes. And the reason why the Democrats wanted to impeach Donald Trump uh, was because they don't want him to run again. And... Here's just my few thoughts on it. I think the Democrats' insistence on an impeachment as opposed to actually fighting for $1,400 stimulus checks will reflect poorly on the midterms. And I say that because the Democrats won, and again, I keep hammering on this, and I'm sorry if I'm, if I'm you know getting into it because it's just so dumb. It's just like... Democrats won Georgia off of one single issue, which is campaigning off of stimulus checks, which was brought to you by Bernie Sanders. They won on $2,000 stimulus checks. Joe Biden campaigned for Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff because he said that on his first day of office, $2,000 stimulus checks will be flying through the door and will will be given to individuals who are you know, high, uh, were, that were affected by the pandemic, all right? It's a $1.9 trillion stimulus package that he tried to, I mean, he actually brought down to $1,400. And now I don't even think we're going to get $1,400, to be honest with you. I Like, I don't think we're going to get $1,400. I don't. I think we're going to get to a point where, where Biden and where, where the Democrats will focus on tax credits more so than $1,400 stimulus checks. But, I mean... You campaigned on on two thousand dollars stimulus checks. You brought it down to fourteen hundred because you sort of swindled the voters into thinking that the six hundred dollars was a part of that two thousand dollars stimulus check to make it uh, two thousand dollars with the fourteen hundred. But it's just so dumb, man. It's just so dumb to see. It's just so. It's honestly, it's sad to see Democrats just swindle voters time and time and time again and honestly 
this impeachment trial is nothing but a dog pony show that will that will reflect negatively on the midterms and will and will make democrats lose control of both the senate and the house seats and the democrats have nothing to blame nothing to blame but themselves and honestly I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna shed a tear when these Democrats lose seats because they're not focusing on the things that they should be focusing on, which is focusing on stimulus checks, which is focusing on the uh, vaccine uh, uh, doses, which is focusing on making sure that people get back to employment. You know, I mean, these are things that they should be focusing on. These are policies that they should be enacting on to better their, their constituents, to better the voters, to better the people that they serve. And they're not doing that. Instead, they're focusing on an impeachment trial because they don't want to face Donald Trump because they know in their heart of hearts that come 2024, Donald Trump, if, he's, if he runs again, he has a good chance of winning again. And that scares the Democrats way more than Democratic voters or swing state voters not voting Democrat and voting Republican instead. That scares them way more than the latter. The former uh, scares them way more than the latter. You know, it's just so sad to see it, man. So sad. Ow. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> I almost fell on my chair. I mean, how do you fall on your chair? I just fell on my chair. I'm sorry for that. Um, but Ted Cruz, I mean, Ted Cruz had a very interesting quote. And again, I disagree with Ted Cruz on a routine basis. I think, you know, his, his, um, his wife working at Goldman Sachs is definitely sketchy to say the least. But Ted Cruz, I mean, he had a very good quote. I mean, he said, uh, and this is from The Hill, at The Hill, uh, go watch Crystal Ball, Sagar, and Jetty on The Hill's YouTube channel. Great people, like him a lot. Uh, but Senator Ted Cruz said, uh, I think Schumer right now, Ch uh, Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader of the Democratic Party, uh, I think Schumer right now is dealing with chaos. And he says this, uh, Ted Cruz, I think he said this on Saturday, Friday, Saturday. He said, I think Schumer right now is dealing with chaos, doesn't know what to do because they hadn't planned on this. And he's right. They didn't plan on this impeachment. They just used it to offer platitudes and offer these performative changes that won't really change anything. And that's just a massive failure on the Democrats. A massive, massive failure. I mean, we are in a pandemic, right? where people, millions and millions of people have lost jobs through no fault of their own. We're dealing with an opioid crisis where now drugs are being sent all across America, where now fentanyl is being laced with other drugs and is ruining, ruining our middle class. We're dealing with horrible trade deals such as NAFTA. I don't know if this is just a little bit out there, but we're dealing with horrible trade deals such as NAFTA and TPP that have sent our jobs overseas and decayed our, our middle class, decayed middle America, and sort of elevated the economies of China and Mexico and Canada. And we've sent our jobs packing overseas through those uh, free trade agreements. We don't have any public option for healthcare. Right? We don't have any Medicare for all or any single-payer uh, healthcare system. The least you could do, the very least you could do, is send $1,400 stimulus checks. It should have been $2,000 and it should have been recurring, but the least you could have done is $1,400 stimulus checks. And the fact that you're not doing it shows that you have no spine whatsoever. No spine whatsoever. Over oh, right. that kind of got me pent up. I'm very sorry, but I mean, it's just so sad to see 
these poor people, these poor and uh, powerless individuals in Georgia and just in America in general, vote Democrats time and time again because they think Democrats care about the middle class, when in reality they're just as horrible, just as sketchy as the Republicans that they criticize. Oh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, what? I mean, I shouldn't be surprised. And honestly, I think the key to uh, life is having low expectations. But when your expectations are that low and they just fail at enacting any policies whatsoever, I mean, what can you really get at? You know, I mean, it's just so sad, man. It really is. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm getting dizzy just because of that. You know, I'm getting really dizzy because of that. Uh, yeah, I think it's just kind of sad, man. It really is. I mean, and then, I mean, it started, this podcast started on a pretty good note, you know, talking about tennis, talking about, you know, the upcoming tennis players and tennis matches that are scheduled to play. And now it's just evolved into, you know, going after Democrats, which is rightfully so. I think it's very important to at least go after Democrats because, and just go after the neoliberal orthodoxy in general, because time and time again they just fail to do anything that helps out their constituents you know helps out their coalition you know but anyways should i talk about the nadal barantini uh quote apparently people were going after nadal uh for saying that barantini uh was playing injured i don't know i mean i I think that's kind of i think that's kind of I don't think the outrage is that warranted. At the end of the day, Nadal is a great tennis player, and I don't think he really meant it. Um, but again, I feel like people going after Nadal, you know, find better things to do. I mean, Nadal has been a great ambassador for the game of tennis, and uh, yeah, I don't think he should be going. He sh- uh, people should be going after him uh, for what he said about Barantini, uh, for sort of letting uh, the public uh, under uh, know about the injuries that he had to go through. I don't think that would actually benefit Nadal or Barantini, to say the least. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, stop going after Barantini. You know, stop going after Nadal, you know. These are great tennis players, you know. And so what if Nadal said Barantini played while he was injured? You know, a lot of tennis players go through that. Nadal went through that, you know, 2015-2016 Australian Open. I mean, there was a lot of issues with Nadal when it came to you know, his play during those two years obviously culminated to a one at the French Open final, but I mean, Nadal had to go through a lot of injuries, you know? So yeah, I don't really get this outrage over Nadal. I mean, it seems, it doesn't seem warranted whatsoever. All right. Is it time to get into my uh, weekly picks? My weekly picks? I think so. Uh, So... Usually for Tuesday's episodes, I recommend something uh, with what it may be a book, it may be an album that I really enjoyed. And this this recommendation or this pick that I'm gonna ha- have this weekly pick is an album. And the album that I'm uh, recommending to you guys is Weezer's OK Human. And this is not to be confused with OK Computer from Radiohead, which is, to me, a, a better album than OK Human. But, uh, you know, go check that out, Radiohead. You know, Karma Police, great uh, great song. Uh, obviously, if <laughs> many people have heard Radiohead, but uh, it's a good album. But Reasoner's OK Human. I mean, it clocks in at around 30 minutes, 30 seconds. It's a small runtime. And 
It's a great album. I really enjoy it. Uh, it does remind me a little bit about, uh, and again, this may be a little weird for, for me to say, but it does remind me a little bit about uh, Beach Boys Pet Sounds and a little bit of early 2000s Justin Timberlake. Now, I, I like early 2000s Justin Timberlake. You know, I, I like Justified. I like uh, Future Sex Love Sounds. And I know that that's a wild uh, juxtaposition between the two. It's a it's a wild comparison to say. Uh, and obviously, you know, Rivers Cuomo has said that, you know, he's very much influenced by the Beach Boys. But it just reminds me of that. You know, it's a, it's a great album that, you know, shows the lighthearted nature of Weezer with the dark ethereal sounds, the dark orchestral arrangements that accompany Weezer as they age. You know, so it's a good album, and um, his lyrics are a little weird, to say the least. It's still a little premature. It's still Rivers Cuomo, to say the least, because, you know, as he ages and as he's grown up, he's, his lyrics are still a little, you know, cringy. Uh, on the song Alu Gobi, which is, uh, I think, the third or fourth t- track off the album. And if you guys don't know what, uh, what Alu Gobi is, it's basically like this Indian dish of cauliflower and uh, a various assortment of spices but uh he basically says on the on the song uh one of his lyrics is oh life gets sweet as years go by but mine has lost its flavor like it's try i mean that's just weird to say the least i mean <laughs> that's a little cringy uh but i mean there are a lot of great songs off the album you know numbers is one of my favorite songs off it uh the interlude off that or the chorus off that is just amazing you know it does you know, as I said before, you know, it does remind me a little bit about the National High Violet. So if you guys love Pitchfork, uh, maybe listen to this album. I know I got like a five point something off of Pitchfork, but it's still a good album. And, you know, when it comes to my favorite Weezer albums, I'm not much of a Weezer fan. Uh, some of my favorite albums by Weezer is obviously the Blue Album. I'm not a big fan of Pinkerton. Uh, in fact, I'm not that big of a fan of Pinkerton. But in terms of Weezer albums, I like the Blue Album and I like parts of the Green Album. Hash Pipe is just a great song. You know, it's just like, it's so like catchy. It's so pop catchy. You know, it, it's, and I'm sure that album was produced by Rick Rubin. I may be wrong, but it's just a good song. You know, Thousand Island Sun is also another song by Weezer that I really enjoy. And uh, I think that's it for recommendations for this podcast. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll catch you guys on Thursday, and we'll talk more about tennis. We'll talk about more about just about our political, societal culture as a whole. Hopefully, Democrats keep screwing up because that just gives me more uh, fuel uh, to really dive deep in, in our current neoliberal orthodoxy and just our current... Uh, abuse of power that we're seeing at a high heightened sense so thank you so thank you so much for tuning in thank you so much for listening and i'll see you guys on thursday